Good morning. Making room for me up here. Thank you for that. I got to I got to have some room to pace. I'm a pacer and I'm a hand talker. We believe that Christianity is a full contact sport. We use our whole body, right? All right. Well, with Emily's uh injury here. I know what you're all thinking. Is it too early to make neck brace jokes or not? Is it too early? Is that okay? And I would, I would say this. It depends on how well you know her. You know, if you know her really well, yeah, you can, you can make jokes about the neck brace. She's had some friends poking fun at her already online and stuff like that on, on social media. Um, but if anything else, just tell her, hey, keep your chin up, you know, but she, she can't help it anyway. She has to keep her chin up, so... Keep your chin up, babe. It's not too early. We have a great sense of humor. My wife and I love comedy. We love laughing. It's part of the kingdom. Amen? Righteousness, peace, and joy. All right, well, we've been in a series called Courageous, and uh, we're continuing today. This is, uh, today's going to be part five of this series on Courageous. If you've missed any of these messages, you can go to citylights.church and listen to our archives. The title of my message today is called Courage to be Genuine. Courage to be Genuine. Undoubtedly, when God created you, he made you like nobody else. He made you like no one else. You know, oftentimes we take these these personality tests, right? Um, You know, like the DISC test or the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram test, those kind of things. And the reason why those can be good is they, they kind of help categorize people. And you can kind of learn your strengths, your weaknesses, how other people can interact with you better, how you can interact with other you know, personality types better. How many have ever taken one of those tests? They're, they're, they're good. They're helpful. And personally, I can, never, uh, I can never remember what anyone's personality type is. So I don't know if they're very useful for me. Um, I can't ever remember what my own personality type is. I think my personality type is the personality type that doesn't remember what anyone else's personality type is, or my own for that matter. So, in fact, I had to ask Emily what I am just so I could talk about this for a second here today. So, for the, for the DISC test, I, apparently I'm an IC. Okay, what does that mean? I don't know. Uh, the Myers-Briggs, apparently I'm an ENTJ. What does that mean? I don't know. All I know is the E means extrovert and there's other letters. If you want to know what that means, talk to uh, Emily and Amanda. They're the gurus of the personality and harmony. They're the, they're the gurus of the personality type thing there. Talk to them. Now there's this Enneagram thing. This is kind of the new big deal, right? Um, I can't get away from the Enneagram. Like, I'm hearing it everywhere. I was at Starbucks, Starbucks the other day just kind of working on my computer. This girl's next to me. She's, like, talking to another girl talk, across from her. And the girl's like, I'm a two, and my husband's a seven. Because that girl's a six, I can't, get a, I can't get along with her because my personality type, and I'm just like, dear Lord, everyone's, everyone's a number now, you know? So for months, my wife's been trying to categorize me, put me in an Enneagram box, and I successfully evaded her for, you know, a couple months until a few weeks ago, we had a, a four-and-a-half-hour drive to Aspen, and I'm like, hey, babe, what do you want to do? Do you want to listen to something? Do you want to talk? 
you know, listen to music, comedy, what do you want to do? And she's like, you're taking the Enneagram test. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So I, she had me, I couldn't get away. And uh, 144 questions later, I found out that I've been categorized as a three, whatever that is. So, are you three? I don't know, okay, boom. I don't know what we're bumping fists about, but it's good. But <laughs> my point is, my, where I'm going at is this. You could find another person who's an ENTJ, Myers-Briggs, uh, an Enneagram 3, and a DISC IC. You could put that person and stand them right next to me, and you would find out there would still be very unique differences between our personalities. Why is that? Because even though we score very similar on a personality test, you know, maybe we're motivated by the similar things or we react similar in situations, there's still unique differences between us. Truly, you are a snowflake. I'll go ahead and put up that picture of a snowflake. I don't know if you know this, they say every, they say every snowflake is different. Like no two are the same. I don't know, there's really no way you could know this because there's been snow for a long time. But they say, they say that there's no two snowflakes that are ever alike. And again, all this personality stuff, I think it's good. I think it's valuable. It helps you work with other people, team dynamics and stuff like that. But God has created each of us uniquely and individually. Even, uh, they say, even identical twins, like people who have the same exact genetic makeup, the same DNA, even identical twins have different have different thumbprints. Like, there's still differences between them. In other words, they're, metaphorically speaking, their influence on this world, the thumbprint that they're going to leave on this world is going to be different. They're not the same person. They, same, they have the same genetic makeup, but they're two different people. So even though someone might have a personality that's just like you, they're nothing like you in some ways. And I believe that each of us has been created to fill and fulfill a place in God's heart. We each come from God's heart. We've, be, we've been created to fill and fulfill a place in God's heart. But in this present world, I think it actually takes courage to be the unique individual that God created you to be because, hear this, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of external pressures trying to mold you into being something else. This is why Romans chapter 12, 2 says this. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world has an agenda for you. They're trying to mold you to buy this, to buy that, to look like this. There, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of influences trying to get you to think a certain way, to align with a certain whatever, political alignment. There's, there are influences out there trying to get you to think the way you want to think. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some critics of of Christianity would, would say that when you become a Christian, you become just like a drone, just another, you know, cookie cutter, a drone. And, or like a, you guys ever, whoever, um, who here used to watch like, or maybe do watch Star Trek? Do we have any trackies here? Personally, my favorite Star Trek of all of them is Star Trek Next Generation, the one with Captain Picard. I like that one a lot. All right, so. I haven't watched my Star Trek you know, in the last you know, couple decades, but that one, you know, late 80s, early 90s, that was my favorite. And you guys remember the Borg? Remember the Borg, right? Go ahead and put up, I have a picture of the Borg, okay. These are like cyborg 
creatures, they go through the galaxies and they galaxy and they they um, they make other worlds like they um, assimilate them. That's the right word. Assimilate. They assimilate them to be one of the Borg, and then they all have one mind. There's no difference between each of them, right? A lot of critics of Christianity would say this is what you this is what happens to you when you become a Christian. You're just another drone, another another Borg, right? But C.S. Lewis actually said this. He said, nothing could be further from the truth. Before you're a Christian, you follow the pattern of the world to please yourself, to please your sinful nature. It's only by becoming a Christian or a follower of Jesus that you find your own unique and individual identity. It actually frees you to become who you were always created to be in the first place. Amen? You don't become a drone. You become who you were created to be in the first place. I'll illustrate this. I have, a, I have a family member whose name will remain confidential for their protection. But um, as long as I've known them, they've been a, a, a Christian. But there was a, a time of their life where like, they weren't showing that they were, there was no fruit in their life. They weren't showing fruitfulness in their life, that they were bearing the fruit of Christianity. And um, whenever I got around them, I, I loved them, but I didn't really en- I didn't enjoy him. It's a him. Um, I didn't enjoy him. I got around him. I loved him. I didn't really enjoy him. Because there's always a sense of competition and security. Um, just, he was kind of condescending towards other people. Several years ago, this family member, um, he was a Christian. He went to a, a Dave Duell meeting. How many remember Dave Duell, Pastor Dave Duell? He has passed on, but had a powerful ministry. And um, this family member went to a Dave Duell meeting, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I can't begin to tell you the transformation that happened in this family member's life. He went from being kind of selfish to patient, from being brash to gentle, competitive to humble. He prays all the time, gives away his money, evangelizes on the streets, leads worship, right? What happened? He encountered the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Which, which one is the real one? One from before or the one that got baptized in the Holy Spirit and is now bearing fruit? That's, yeah, amen. The second one, for those of you who didn't know. That's the real one. That's the one that God created from the foundations of the world. The old one is a drone of the, pa- of a, of the pattern of this world to, to please a sinful nature and to live out of fear and insecurity. The new one is the shining example of what um, a believer that's filled with the power of God is. So I want to talk today about the individual that God's created to be, the uniqueness that God's created to be. Let me give you a few scriptures to kind of help drive this home. King David said this, Psalms 133, or I'm sorry, 139, verses 13 through 17. He said this, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Okay, David said that, but that's true of us as well. Amen? He knit us together in our mother's womb. All our days ordained for us before one of them came to pass. You didn't lose your identity when you, came to, when you became a believer. You actually found your identity. The person that you're always meant to be came shining through. Let me give you another scripture. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Jesus said this, Are not two sparrows, uh, sparrows sold for a penny? 
That's probably not true anymore, but it was then. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Okay, God values every detail about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. For some of you, it's not hard to count the number of hairs on your head because you don't have any. But he knows the number of hairs on your very head. He values every detail about us. Not only that, but every gifting and calling about you was decided before you were ever formed. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5, he says this, Before I formed you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Okay, before you were in your mother's womb, God had a plan and a purpose and destiny for you. God made you on purpose for a purpose. Let's all repeat that. God made you on purpose for a purpose. God made you on purpose for a purpose. By the way, this is the, these scriptures that I just read here, this is one of the reasons that Christianity throughout history has been a very pro-life. We as a church, we're very pro-life. I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying a statement when God in the Bible says how valuable the individual is, each person is, that's why we are pro-life. In fact, the first pro-life movement in the early church was, was in the Roman culture in that world. If you had a baby with a birth defect, it was very common for them to abandon the baby and um, expose the baby to the elements and let it die. Christians were known for rescuing those babies, raising them and educating them. The first pro-life movement was the early church. It's not a new thing. We believe that God has a created purpose for every individual. God made you on purpose for a purpose. Sometimes you hear people say the phrase like, I need to, I need to find myself, right? What are you doing? I'm just trying to find myself. And usually that precedes some like long trip or some journey around the world. They're going to go find themselves, right? And I don't know. There's maybe some value in that, getting away and you know, getting distractions out of your life. But let me ask you a question. If you're going to find yourself, where would you find yourself? Like where would you look? Seriously. Check this out. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Do you want to find your true self? Your true self is hidden in Christ in God. That's your true self. You want to find yourself? It's hidden in Christ in God. Maybe you're here today and you've been looking in all the wrong places. Maybe you've been looking around the wrong corners. Your life is hidden in Christ and God. You want to find out your identity, who you've always been created to be? Look to Jesus. Amen? This is why when we read the word, the Bible says, when we read the word, it's like looking into a mirror. It's like in the mirror because it reveals who you were always created to be. Check this out. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. It says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. When you read this word, your life is hidden in Christ and God. And if you want to read about it, it's right here. Extra, extra, read all about it. Find out your life is hidden in Christ and Jesus. You can read all about that right here. It's like looking in a mirror because it reveals 
Oh, that's who I'm created to be. Oh, that's what I'm created to do. Oh, I'm created to have authority. Oh, I'm not created to be in bondage to sin. I'm created to, to live free from it and over it and change this world and transform this world with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So when you read the Word, it's not just, we're not just reading stories about, oh, people that did amazing things. It's actually revealing who God has created us to be in this present world. Amen? It's a good word for someone. See who you're always made to be. <clears throat> Um, the, the root word for courage is core. It's the Latin word for heart. Have you ever heard the phrase, like, that person has a lot of heart? Like, usually that's a, a sign of someone who, maybe they're not the most talented person or whatever, or the most skilled person, but, the, man, they got a lot of heart. I, I would say that's actually probably a more accurate version of what courage looks like. Courage is the person who has a lot of heart. That's a more accurate translation. The original translation of the Latin word courage meant to tell your story from your heart. Tell your story from your core. Live your life from your heart. Live your life from your core. It meant to be known. It meant to be original. It meant to have the courage to be known for who you are. To be seen, to be in the light, to be transparent. Not living with walls up. Right? Like the people, they, the, the people... The person people see when they look at you, is that the real you? Are you transparent? Are your walls down? Are you living courageously from your heart? Or do you have walls up, right? It's courageous to let those walls down to be seen for who you really are. It means being part of a community, letting people in, letting people see. That's courageous. That's courageous because when people hurt you, what do you want to do? You want to put up a wall. You go through a bad breakup, what do you want to do? You want to put up a wall. Now the next person can't get in or you're already... You know, you want to throw a grenade into your relationships before someone else blows it up first, right? So you're self-sabotaging your own relationships before they can even get started because someone hurt you before, right? Living from your heart is living with your walls down. It's living courageously. So my question today is, are you known? I'm not talking about being famous, but are you known? Do people around you, do they know the real you? Do they see the real you? Um, in the, in the, the Greek culture... The question people asked, this is, you know, back in biblical days, the question people asked about your life and what you would be remembered for, it's not really what you accomplished is what they were concerned about. They weren't, didn't really care, like, did they do something big? Was it amazing? They actually asked the question, but were they passionate? Were they passionate? Did they live from their heart? Did they live courageously from their heart? Listen, um, I don't care if you're a trashman or a doctor. My question is, are you passionate? Are you living from your core? Are you living from your heart? I don't care if you're a worship leader up here on the stage or you're doing the most mundane, boring job in the whole church. Are you living passionately and from your heart for, for the eyes of one? I don't care if you're a CEO or a stay-at-home future world changer molder. Are you doing it passionately from your heart? Amen? God's original purpose for you and his design for you was to live from your core, to live from your heart, and he's created a masterpiece. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of external pressures trying to cover over and paint over the masterpiece that God has created you to be. Many times because of sin, shame, comparison, this masterpiece gets painted over. He painted a masterpiece, and this masterpiece is getting painted over. Amen? I'm going to use an illustration to kind of drive this home. In the year 1481 in Florence, Italy, Leonardo da Vinci 
was commissioned by the Augustinian monks to paint the Adoration of the Magi, which today is one of his most iconic paintings, only one of 15 that's in existence. For reasons that are not certain, Leonardo abandoned the painting before it was completed. It was recently discovered um, that the painting was painted over by someone else, and much of Leonardo's brilliant art was lost underneath. I want to play a video um, of a guy, he's known as the Da Vinci Detective, who used special cameras to uncover Leonardo's original masterpiece underneath and what that would look like. So go ahead and roll that video. There's to start to uncover Leonardo's critical vision for the adoration, as he first created it in 1481. His instrument of choice, an infrared camera fixed to a motorized scanner he engineered himself. It will capture thousands of detailed digital images of the underdrawing. It is a remarkable moment. From the gloomy images of the oil painting, emerging for the first time in 500 years, Leonardo's original drawings of the adoration. It's like digging in archeological terms and finding uh, in this case, wonderful drawings. It's exciting, at the same time, it's finally showing what I always thought. And that is, all this has been repainted. And this is not the work of Leonardo. All this has been added on top. Entirely new aspects of Leonardo's composition emerge. The face of a man. Stop. When none could be seen in the painting. Look here. This is the, the chin the mouth, the nose, which has been covered by this brushstrokes of carbon, and this is the eye, and this is the forehead line. Now we're looking at this face here. We can see in much finer details the layout of the physiognomy of this, of this face. I think you should come and see this one. Die, die, die and something truly remarkable. Leonardo's famous self-portrait, seen for the first time as a pristine drawing, looking just as it must have done when he drew it, age 29. Serracini believes his findings throw down a challenge to those in the art world who treat the adoration as an icon that should not be questioned. Very often you see a work of art and you consider an icon, and as such, you accept whatever is there as the original idea, good or bad, or beautiful or ugly that might appear to you. And I think this was the case, especially on the most important painting by Leonardo we have in Italy. Stop. Why would such a powerful scene be so dramatically altered? I asked myself why that was done. Why someone would go and paint on top of such an incredibly beautiful drawing by Leonardo, doing such a poor job, with such a poor tech, uh, technique. Was Leonardo's battle scene a crucial clue to the adoration's checkered history? Could it help explain why the painting was abruptly abandoned and treated so badly? Serracini was forming a shocking hypothesis that Leonardo's great masterpiece may have fallen victim to an act of censorship. I could figure the friars saying, okay, we have this big panel, we cannot use it, we cannot put it on the, 
on the main altar because it's not a painting we wanted. We would not accept it because of what the drawing shows. So we don't want to throw it away because Leonardo might come back. Just let's store it. Let's put it away in a storage room and let's leave it there. It was a scenario that would make sense of Serracini's discoveries. The young Leonardo abandons the adoration when the monks reject his radical underdrawing. His work is left to rot in a leaky storehouse. Many years later, when works by Leonardo start to bring a good price, it is retrieved and cleaned up. An unknown and unskilled artist turns the drawing into something more saleable, redrawing and painting over the most controversial imagery. The painting becomes an icon, but Leonardo's true vision for it lies hidden under layers of somebody else's paint. Serracini retrieved 2,400 digital images of the Adoration's original underdrawing. It was the first time this technology had been used on such a scale. Stitching them together into a giant mosaic took him and his team almost a year. Finally, it is ready to be unveiled. Beneath the clumsy overpainting, revealed for the first time, Leonardo's true vision for the Adoration. Details not seen for over 500 years are now visible. In the background, the clash of warriors that Leonardo would recreate for the great lost battle of Anghiari. In the swirling crowd surrounding Jesus and the Madonna, almost 30 new figures. the Madonna's feet revealed resting on a boulder in a stream. Masons rebuilding a church, perhaps a symbol of the destroyed Temple of David. In the far distance, beyond the battling riders, there's even what appears to be a Leonardo joke or riddle, a lone elephant on the horizon. It's a treasure house of drawings straight from the hand of Leonardo that will keep art historians busy for decades. It's pretty crazy, huh? God created a masterpiece when he created humanity. But sin, shame, guilt, and things like that have come to paint that brushstroke over God's original masterpiece. Here's some things that paint over the masterpiece. Comparison, envy, fear, sin, shame, guilt, the fear of man. Even religion can paint over God's masterpiece. Let me, let me qualify that. Religion is man's attempt to reach God through performance. True Christianity is God's attempt to reach man through relationship. Let me say that again. Religion is man's attempt to reach God through performance. True Christianity is God's attempt to reach man through a relationship. My question to you today is, has there been an act of censorship on your life to cover up the masterpiece that God has created you to be? 
The world loses something valuable when you try to be someone else or something else. Or when the real you gets painted over by sin, shame, guilt, comparison, envy, whatever. I actually want to add to that list. During worship, I felt like I was thinking about this message and the things that paint over. I even felt like maybe there were people here, um, some kind of pill that's altering the way you think. Maybe there's a substance abuse thing there. That's covering over the masterpiece that God's created you to be. And the Lord wants to set you free from that today. Our life is hidden with Christ and God. He created you for relationship. He created you to be that brilliant masterpiece that he's made. Amen. Why don't you guys stand on your feet? I'm going to pray, and then we'll release you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every individual in this room. God, I thank you for the amazing masterpiece, God, that you've created each of us to be. God, and the brush, the, the brush strokes, God, of the enemy have tried to come and paint over, God, the things that you have um, called us to and ordained for us to have, Lord God. I thank you that when we find our true identity, which is hidden in Christ and God, Lord God, we can, we can come and truly shine, God, the, uh, and be the person, God, you've created us to be and change this world, Lord. I just, I just pray that over everyone here today, Lord. Whatever is trying to censor you, I guarantee you there's an act of censorship trying to happen in your life. And whatever that is, I pray that God would reveal that to you and that that thing would fall off in Jesus' name. Amen.